0: Good morning. I received a valentine last week from—my husband and I received a valentine last week from our daughter, who's a junior in Chicago, and the valentine said, I love being part of this family. And as I stand before you this morning, I have that same sort of feeling. There are so many of you who have been friends, who have challenged me, who have supported, who have encouraged. And it is good to be here today. The words to a song sum up what I'd like to share over the next two days. And the song is one that's very familiar. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. How many of you learned that when you were very young? Let's see those hands. Well, that song is a favorite that is sung all over the world. And I learned last week that it actually appeared in a novel in 1860. It was a novel by Anna Warner. And the story included that song being sung to a young boy who was dying, and they were words that were meant to comfort. Later, additional words and a tune were added, and it became a song that is literally sung around the world. It contains a profound theological truth. And Karl Barth said as a theologian that his whole position could be summed up by saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's another line in that song, though, that I think we tend to overlook. And it's the line that says, Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. We sing that line in a world that worships power. Do we believe it? Do we believe that as we sing it? Do we have that child's delight in the strong arms of Jesus? Are we those desiring to rest in his strength and willing to admit our own weakness? The journey toward admitting our own weakness is one that we all travel in different ways, and I'll have to confess that my body has been one of my teachers. As a young child, I contracted polio, and I spent much of my youth trying to be strong and regain the use of my legs. Now, in the past couple of weeks, I have gone through a very difficult process for me, because I have had to obtain a handicap sticker for my car, and there are benefits to having a handicap sticker, and most of you at times have wished you had one, I bet. But one of the realities is that in order to obtain that, you say on a paper with a doctor's um, approval that you are permanently handicapped, you are weak. And you know, that has been a very difficult thing for me, something that I could not have done without the encouragement of my friends and my family. Because confessing weakness is not something that I like to do. And I don't think it's something that many people like to do. Well, I have signed up for Dancing Legs in Heaven, and I am guaranteed a lot of riders in my car between now and then. But in the process of doing this, there has come a new awareness that there is a need to hang on to something in my life. And it's a reversal of all the power games that our society calls us to play. It reminds us of the words of Jesus that said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. One of the wonderful ways that that truth has been taught to me is through the word of God. And I'd like to spend a few minutes this morning sharing with you a favorite passage in which I have learned of that. Now, I want you to imagine this morning that you are not in this gym. I'm sure you're all willing to do that, right? Let's go down to the beach. And let's pretend that we are out on a boat together. Unfortunately, we'll have to take the sun out of the picture because it's night. And we have been on the boat longer than we had planned and longer that we would, when, longer than we'd like to have been. It's now very early in the morning. We are tired. Some of you are very hungry, and a few of you will be seasick. Come with me to the sea. I'm reading from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in the 22nd verse of the 14th chapter. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind... Was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached down his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus was up on the mountain praying, and the disciples were buffeted by winds. They'd done exactly what they'd been told to do, and they ended up in a storm. We know about those buffeting winds, don't we? Some of you said yes to a class this year that you never thought would be so tough. Or you made a promise to a friend that you didn't think would be so difficult to keep. Or you made a commitment in a relationship that you didn't expect to be so challenging. Or some of you have gotten stuck in the middle of a situation that was not anything of your choice. Your parents have gone through a divorce. There's been an illness, an accident, a death. The disciples were on their way to Bethsaida, just as Jesus had asked them when they got stuck in the wind and the buffeting waves. There was no motor to call the boat into action, no rescue from a larger vessel, no sudden change in wind to help them escape the waves. There could be great loneliness in such places. We can lose heart. We can lose hope. And some of you may feel like that's where you are today. My son has given me permission to share with you about being in such a place. For us this year, it was the football season. The football season became a place of buffeting winds for him and for us. My son is a six foot five senior, played football at Santa Barbara High School. Went through a summer of intensive training, joining a team with a long tradition of its success, a lot of preseason hype, and then he found himself playing on a losing team during a losing season. Any of you ever been there before? It was a losing season, losing team, but he was a player who was depended on greatly because of his size and his strength. There was great expectation that he would perform well. I can remember being away, the first away game of the season. My husband and I were seated in the opponent's bleachers, and a man sidled over to us and said, you know, that team out there is the worst team I've seen this group have in 40 years. There is simply no talent on that team at all. Well, instead of cheering for touchdowns, we were all often cheering and praying for first downs. And I can remember one game in particular when the opponents had 28 points in the first half and we were still praying for a first down. And even though the team did do better in the second half, it wasn't a pretty sight. In fact, like a lot of other nights during the season, it was nightmarish and we sort of kept hoping that we would wake up and it would be over. I knew the night of that particular game when I got home that my son Kyle felt even worse than I had about the game. My husband, who is a great encourager and a great football fan, was out of town. And Kyle came home alone, sweaty, bruised, downhearted, grieving. And he said to me, Mom, I, I played a terrible game. I told the coach I don't deserve to start next week. I was so bad. They were getting through, and I just didn't know how to stop them. Mom, the only thing I want to do is quit. I'll never forget that night. Here I was, mother with a great love for her son, very little knowledge of football. And I was the one that was stood there to comfort, to give hope. It was a buffeting wind time at our house. But you know, in the midst of that, for me, there was hope. Because as my son poured out his heart and his weakness, I knew he was in the right place. He'd been humbled by failure. He'd been broken by weakness. He knew he hadn't done well, and he wanted to. Now, I don't know much about football. But I do know that those with open, teachable spirits, those aware of weakness, can be strengthened. And so that night I reminded my son that actually this was the first year he'd had much playing time on the football field, and that he did have strength, and he did have grace and desire, and his skills would grow with experience. He, if he had the courage, could go back tomorrow and watch those game films of failure and ask his coaches for help. And we'd continue to pray that God would help him through those buffeting winds of a losing football season and give him the endurance and the courage to remain on the field. The disciples in our story this morning were enduring buffeting winds. And somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the water. And they saw him, and thinking he was a ghost, they were terrified. Fear gripped men already in a discouraging place, and they cried out. Unfortunately, we don't need ghost sightings to cause us to be afraid, do we? I wish our fears were limited to that. On our way, we deal with fear like we deal with storms and winds. I had the joy of meeting with six absolutely fantastic Westmont students every Monday night. And last week, I said, help me. Help me think about the storms, the fears of Westmont students. They gave me a few. See if these sound familiar. I said, what are the fears of Westmont students? Grades. Will we make it scholastically? Future. What will we do after Westmont? What if I leave Westmont without finding a Christian mate? Will I find a job? And if I find a job, is it one I'll be properly prepared for? Money. Will I have enough to get through Westmont? Will I ever make enough to pay back Westmont? <laughs> Home, where will that be? What do you think? Are those familiar? Jesus came to the disciples as he comes to us in the midst of fear with words of great comfort. He said, Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. I'm here. Let Go, of fear. One of my favorite verses, and it's actually a verse that was given to me my senior year of college, is in Isaiah 41, verses 9 and 10. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Francis Havergal, a hymn writer, challenged me to take that and other promises very seriously. He said, Do we trust such a promise or not? Unclaimed promises are like uncashed checks. They'll keep us from bankruptcy, but not from want. Claiming God's promises helps release us from fear. Now, one of the things I have come to deeply appreciate about the Westmont community is that this is a place that gives opportunity to acknowledge fear and to seek to be released from that in small groups, in classes, in friendship, in worship. What an incredible gift to leave college with courage. Jesus brings us courage with his presence. Well, Peter was there in the boat with the disciples, but he wanted to be with Jesus. And he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I want to be where you are, Jesus. Don't we long for Jesus to tell us to come as we seek direction in our lives? Well, Jesus said to Peter, come. And Peter came. He got right out of that boat, And he began walking on top of the water. He was just heading toward Jesus. But then it says in our text that he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. Now, Jesus was right there, and Peter was doing well in his first water walk. He'd fearlessly gotten out of the boat. He was going for it. He was doing it. There was all that excitement and that joy, and then... The next minute, there was fear again. Jesus hadn't made everything peaceful. The wind and the waves were still there. And Peter saw the work of the wind, and it was hard to see Jesus. True of our lives, isn't it? As Peter began to sink, he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. You Ever thought about what radical words those were? Lord, I'm weak. You're strong. Help me. It is a challenging prayer model for me. Not an easy prayer to pray. I know that Jesus is in the business of saving from sin and storm and danger and enemy. But you know what? When storms move in, there are so many other options besides praying that prayer. Let me suggest a few that we often choose instead. The first is that we choose water treading. One of the amazing things to me in the passage is that Peter, a fisherman all his life, a man who'd always been around the water and surely must have been a good swimmer, made no attempt to swim to the boat himself. There was no dog paddling, no water treading. Yet how often in our storm situations, when the waves are washing over us instead of crying out for help and seeking the Lord, seeking the help from others, we try by our own efforts to keep our heads above water. I can handle this. I can take care of this by myself. The reality is the storm is so great, the sea so rough, the boat so far away that it is impossible to reach safety, and all our efforts become consumed in treading water. We do this long enough, and we don't even have enough energy left to cry out in a very small voice, help. How long can you tread water? In what areas of your life do you need to cry? Lord, save me. Perhaps you're not a water treader. Maybe instead you're a blamer. Peter could have chosen such behavior. Lord, I was afraid this would happen. I should never have left the boat in the first place. Why didn't you do something about the storm? If you'd taken care of the storm first, then I wouldn't have had this sinking problem. How tempting that is when storms arise in our lives. We feel powerless. It's got to be somebody's fault. And we often spend our energies blaming, accusing, ourselves, others, God. Is this your storm behavior? Do you slip into blame? Are you tempted to accuse? Maybe not. But what about envy? Peter could have turned his attention to those in the boat as he was sinking, jealous of the fact that they weren't where he was. They had the safety of the boat, the protection of dry clothes. They had the security and closeness of one another. While he felt foolish and wet and very much alone. What about us? When storms come into our lives, where do we turn our gaze? Do we look with envy at the people sitting securely in the boat? Are we eaten with jealousy of others because they aren't drowning, and we are? Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Lord, we can pray, save me from envy. Don't let my bones rot. Perhaps envy isn't your problem, but maybe you give in to sinking. Peter could have been so ashamed, so embarrassed, some people are in the midst of a storm, that he could have been resigned to drowning, could have viewed himself as without hope and certainly unworthy of any help. Could have felt himself deserving of nothing more than the wild and stormy sea to close over him. I had a friend several years ago, a young woman who'd had an unfortunate sexual encounter as a teenager, and she'd kept it a secret. For many years, she had borne heavy shame and guilt. It had been an ongoing storm in her life, causing her to see her future as dark. She felt unworthy of any man. Marriage seemed an impossible dream because of what had happened to her. And as she shared her life with me, I really believed that she expected nothing more to, than to find some place where she was really needed and hoped that she didn't live too long. She was in a sinking mode. She was giving in to a storm. And God graciously provided her the courage to cry out to him and to others for saving. And in so doing, she didn't forfeit the grace that was hers. She didn't go down into the deep. In fact, she went into the arms of a loving man and a life of joy. Will we forfeit God's grace and sink in our storms? Those are all storm behaviors. But the one that Peter chose was to cry out for saving. As Peter began to sink in humility, he cried to God, Lord, I've gotten way in over my head. I'm without strength to take care of this on my own. I need help. I need you. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. This friend of his would not sink. He'd hang on to Peter. And these friends of Jesus, you and I, will not sink. He will hang on to us, too. While he held Peter close, he called him a man of little faith, and he asked him why he doubted. Was it a rebuke? Or did Jesus say those words with the compassion of a Lord who was willing to save Peter from shallow faith as well as deep water? Was it an invitation to deeper trust? Well, a wet Peter climbed into the boat with Jesus and the wind died down. All that held them captive in the night was gone. What would you have done if that had happened to you? Would you have shared hugs and high fives all around? Would you have danced the Macarena and tried not to tip the boat over? Would you have become as quiet as the night, awed beyond words? What would you have done with Jesus, this one who displayed such love and power? What do you do? Those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You're the Holy One. I went to Butterfly Beach yesterday feeling overwhelmed at the challenge of speaking to you this morning. And I often go down to the beach to spend some time with God, and I I confess that yesterday when I was there, I was feeling weak, and I was feeling unworthy of standing in front of you this morning. And I have to confess that probably terror is also a little bit of what I was feeling. And I sat there, and I watched those powerful waves roll in on the shore. And I was still. The song that the choir so beautifully sang was was actually running through my heart. And it was as if God said to me, June, if I can send wave after wave crashing upon the shore, don't you think you can trust me to be with you and to speak through you? Be still now and know that I am God. I am the Lord who strengthens you. Would you bow with me and pray as we close? Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. You are loving. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us each the courage to cry out for your saving help in whatever ways, whatever areas that's needed today. Lord, deliver us from our deep waters and our shallow faith. Give us grateful hearts as we see the work of your hand in our lives. And, Lord, might you cause us to worship you as Lord. To you be the honor and the glory and the praise. Amen and amen.